Welcome to Houndsy, the Steel Army Podcast. I'm Dan Yost, and with me in the uh, the good old Steel Army Lounge tonight is Yak. Uh, Yak, what's good, my Yak? Morning, everybody. Uh, I'm doing just fine. I'm a little tired from watching USA Hockey last night disappoint me, and I hope for a better night tonight. You plan on uh, plan on staying up uh, two nights in a row to watch to watch the ladies in a couple hours? That shouldn't be too hard. My friends call me old, but I'm not that old yet. No, especially compared to the other people on this podcast, you are the young one, I believe. He has no response for that. Uh, and along with Yak, we got uh, we got Vesti back in the house. What's good, Vesti? Boys, I have CCL fever, and the only cure is the U.S. Open Cup. Are you are you have uh, are these the the Canadian team playing right now against Cruz Azul, or is that in a few? It's in a bit. Uh, they are currently playing in zero zero in the twenty seventh. Ooh, so you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> uh, hopefully, um, it would be interesting if effectively a Division two Canadian team got a result against Cruz Azul. Uh, but they are home in wherever Forge is, so it's probably a little chilly up there. Does it feel weird that that the CPL already has a team in the Champions League and the USL has not had that happen yet? Especially when they it's, have far fewer spots to get into? It's the whole... It's them considered D1 in Canada... What we know they're not really like you know USD one as elitist as that is, but yeah, uh, it, it just makes me the whole movement about getting the USL and the expanded CCL. I just point at them and be like, you know, why not us? There's a side conversation to have there about um, why. The CPL, it's considered Division One, which I get, but they, the Canadian soccer felt the need to push Toronto or to push Ottawa out of USL, but they're not feeling the need to push the three Canadian MLS teams out of MLS. There is a Canadian dollar sign reason for that. Oh, exactly. It's the soccer equivalent of too big to fail at this point. They can't move. Too big, to, too big to succeed. They don't have Sis. enough. They don't have enough uh, loonies and toonies to to make that work. True. Well, this turned into uh, CPL talk real fast, but uh, we'll get back into all things hounds in the USL. We are 24 days away from the season opener in Memphis. We are 31 days. From the home opener against Hartford, so we are getting down to uh, the nitty and the gritty in terms of putting this roster together. And so far, the Hounds have played two preseason games, two scrimmages, two exhibitions, two practices with other teams, however you want to describe them. Uh, They played on Saturday against Villanova, and then just a couple hours ago, they played against Loudoun. A couple of, of, if you want to call them, wins. You can, if you just want to say they put the ball in the net more often than the air team, that's cool too. And while I don't think any of us on this call had the chance to to see these games, what is there anything, any positives you want to take out of what you what we know to have happened in these two games? Uh, we'll start with you, Vesti. 
Um, I mean, without being able to see it, it's it's really hard to say. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a shame that they they have a quite a few preseason games in the week uh, this year, where usually it's always on the weekend. So I think a lot of us are going to miss probably two or three of them. With especially this early in the preseason, Bob tends to rotate stuff quite a bit, so it's really hard to say. You know that even if we were there, the people we saw in the field are going to be the people we're going to see come regular season. So uh, I don't, at this point, I don't think you can really take much to it uh, or much from it and just, you know, kind of hope that Bob's liking what he sees and uh, we'll, we'll pick up some of these guys. Yeah. Is the best, is the best thing to take out of these games is, is no apparent injuries or, or is there anything to actually glean from performances or score lines or, how many minutes anyone is getting yak anything that that stands out to you so far i think scoring goals in bunches like they're doing is a good start there's there's not a whole lot more to take away from it it's hard to determine who amongst in our lineups that are playing the preseason are actually going to get or are going to be in the starting 11 or the regulars come regular season time it's even harder to to do that for a team like Loudon who can probably shoestring just about anybody in there because they're just trying to get any young kids playing time. Same with same with a college team. All the seniors probably left. I don't know how many. I don't know how many what their lineups going to look like normally, but the fact that we're putting goals in the net is good enough for me, and the fact that no one's got injured. Yeah, no injuries is always a big thing for me. I know Dan Kelly apparently took a, a pretty nasty tackle that had this been a real game would have resulted in a red card, but they just took that player off and still played 11 aside. That was today uh, against Loudon. But, yeah, I, it the, the other hard thing to do this year is we're not, we being fans, spectators, supporters, we're not getting trialist names this year. So now... Instead of having an idea if there's any particular trialist doing well or not doing well, if it's the same person being re- being responsible for the two goals that Villanova scored on the weekend, it's hard to to really gleam any information because they're just all generic trialists. We're not even getting trialists one, trialists two, trialists three. They're just trialists. Uh, yeah, or and, even, and when or even and positions. When, I'm sorry, Festy. Yeah. yeah at least other teams are telling us what positions their trialists are playing. I, I don't know who's on the field and where besides, I presume, one's in goal. Yeah, and, and the team's being really cagey on Twitter, too. They, they really only tweet about when something's happening with a player we've already signed. So these games that we're not at, there's just dead silence on Twitter for long stretches. So we have no idea of, like, you know, trialist one makes a good tackle or, or good pass or gets a good shot. Um, and, and when we do like, against here stuff, it's the people we already know, which it also seems like the, the people we already know are the ones scoring. Like, I know we brought back a lot of offensive power, but it doesn't seem like any of the trialists are stiff in the net, uh, because, you know, the, the, you know, Cicerone scores, it matches the final score line. It's not like phantom gold showing up at the end of the game. Uh, so I, I wonder if a lot of these trialists then are just more defensive oriented or I guess midfielders, if they're just not taking shots, but it's just, it's just really weird kind of 
just quietness around the preseason this year because they're just not telling us anything for for whatever reason this time around. Do you think that was a Do you think that was a Bob call to get rid of the detailed information? I mean, we've had you know three seasons with Bob so far, um, or four, excuse me, where we were getting detailed weekly information who's who's come in the camp, who's come out of camp. And we're being told during all these preseason games who's playing, and uh, we weren't getting you know jersey numbers to match the players, but we could quickly you know once we got the names we could get pictures and we could figure out who was who. But was that a Bob call, or do you think there's some other reason why why we're now being completely left in the dark this year? I would say that's it's 100 percent a Bob thing because uh, I don't. I don't know why from like a front office perspective, you would change how you've been doing it in the past, unless somebody with Bob authority comes in and be like, no, we are not doing this anymore. I want silence. I don't actually don't think it's just him because it's not just the hounds that are being super secretive about it. Detroit and Indianapolis played today. They did the same thing. It's just trialists and guests for names of people they haven't signed yet. Everything's in the dark, but but a lot of teams were doing that in previous years, and the Hounds were the one one kind of like an outlier almost. So are they just regressing back to how everyone is doing it? Or I'm just well, curious. There's some know. some directive that's come down from, I mean, not necessarily the league, but from higher up that that we need to go like kind of in a, in a standard format because it's just it's so weird that they were so forthcoming with information previously, and now that shop has been completely closed up. There's no way it's like a USL collective bargaining thing, do you think? Because that happened this past year. I wouldn't think, but you never know. I mean, I've never really paid attention to other teams in the preseason stuff. Uh, like, I don't have the, the master USL feed in my personal account, and I don't sit on the Steel Army account much. Uh, so if, if, that's, if this is the norm and we're regressing to it, that's news to me. Uh, but... I, I would be curious if there are other teams out there that have seen the similar thing happen. I, again, I don't know if any other teams were as forthcoming as we were, but if, if it, it'd be interesting if it, if it was a league wide thing that everybody's starting to become kind of more quiet and, and cagey about their stuff. And then that would, if that is the case, that would give me more, um, I'd feel more that it maybe is some sort of league mandate as opposed to a Bob mandate. It's weird. Now, the one thing that happened today because Bob was yelling out this guy's name all day, we did figure out one of the trialists. We have an Arturo Ordonez. He was uh, he actually went to Pitt, just graduated. He was a second round draft pick for for Houston in this last this past uh, Super Draft last month. Seemingly has not caught on with uh, with the Dynamo, and he is now back here in Pittsburgh trying to uh, get on with the Hounds. He is a six foot two defender out of Spain. And uh, so at least we have some idea who at least one of these people are. And he was playing at least in the first half, possibly the second. But uh, if so, they're definitely looking at another defender. You got to assume there's got to be a couple more other midfield guys in there. And obviously the keeper is the big, the big gaping zero on the signed list right now. So uh, six foot two guy on the on the back line works for you guys. Works for you, Vesti. 
Oh, yeah. Give me uh, give me as tall as you can get in the back line. Uh, the, the USL is notorious for for um, kind of skewing a little short on strikers and stuff. So give me the guys that are just going to step on everybody and then, then get the ball out of there. This guy brings up a, a – not that we need to go in that conversation today, but this was a second-round pick out of uh, – for Houston, uh, out of Pitt. And, you know, back looking on a USL contract – not even a month later from the draft is is the the MLS Super Draft just almost not worth it anymore, especially outside of the first round. Any thoughts on that? I mean, this was not on the rundown, but any thoughts on that, Yak? I think I've noticed that in past years, it seems that we get a lot of late first round or second round Super Draft picks. They don't make the MLS team. I don't know if that's kind of the standard, but it does seem a little pointless beyond just the first couple picks really and you would even think some of these guys would would stick around with that with that club and then stay on with their their new d3 team and that's not even happening here it's maybe just you be it'd be an interesting thing to, to look at what happens at these these super draft picks how many of them just go and sign with the mls side how many sign with their mls d3 side and how many look for a contract outside of the MLS ecosystem. It probably would be kind of a, a neat little insight, especially if, if you broke it down by round. But It's going to be a big tug and pull this year, especially since the D3 teams aren't going to have a minimum salary cap. They're not going to have a minimum salary per player. There's not, yeah, there's not a floor or a ceiling. Yeah, I, I think this year, because the, the D3 is so new for MLS, it maybe isn't going to be uh, – used as well as it could be there might be still be people in front offices and mls that are still used to the old way i could see that happening more in the future uh taking super draft picks with the idea of going into their next program but it is a little surprising that that hasn't happened yet um so it's a lot of that like with a lot of things with that mls next it's it kind of remains to be seen how that's gonna play out exactly uh but i'm I mean, I don't think MLS teams have really taken the Super Draft that seriously for a while now. I'm pretty sure every year some teams just start skipping picks after like their first pick. Like they just don't even bother with it. Well, a so, couple of years ago, the Union they traded they traded their entire draft pool to I believe it was Cincinnati, and that for, worked out great for Cincinnati. Yeah, and the <laughs> Union picked up some allocation money, and the Cincinnati got a bunch of guys that again I have no idea offhand how how those. Everyone from that draft class pull, uh, pull, uh, panned out, but uh, it's not been great times for Cincy. They are uh, they are not crushing that league. No, but it sounds like they have a challenger this year. Uh, a little but, doubt. Uh, that's, oh, that team, kinda... uh, Charlotte. They're screwed. Right? Yeah, yeah. That that kind of gets into another conversation, but uh, it's uh, still one of the best you know sound bites we'll probably get of the whole year. <laughs> hey, the. Uh... Let's just say that the bottom of the MLS table could be very interesting this year, which is uh, usually not something you care or look at normally. Battle for the wooden spoon, man. We've still we've had good MLS chat, and we've had good CPL chat so far. We're fifteen and a half minutes into it. Uh, the Hounds' next scrimmage is going to be this forthcoming Saturday at Pitt, the University of Pittsburgh, at one o'clock. So we will see the Hounds back in action, playing another college side. We will maybe see this Arturo Ordonez playing at his old field. 
Uh, I know I plan on getting up there. Vesti, you said you were kind of a maybe. Yeah, you got seemingly better things to do, which seems hard to believe, but so be it. Uh, I know I'm looking forward to checking out the goalkeeping situation because, again, that's kind of the big void in all things Hounds right now, and people are starting to get a little nervous. Not me necessarily, but other people. See if we can figure out who some of these trialists are and watch how the returning guys are, are looking, if they're in good shape, how they're moving up the field, linking up with each other. And hopefully everyone stays healthy and we get through another week of the preseason. Any, any thoughts out of uh, John, anything you're thinking about for this pit game? Just stand as close to coach as possible and so we can keep digging into some of these unknown trialists. Oh, the plan is definitely just be right behind the Hounds bench and jot down as many names as I can hear. Absolutely. Festy, anything you're looking for? Uh, not really, since I'm potentially not going to be able to make it. So uh, I hope I'm looking for Twitter to be a little more uh, informative. And if we get more people there, it sounds like it will be. I'll see what I can do on the. I'm, I'm a bad in game tweeter. I think is as we've come to, to find out once the game gets it. But this is preseason, so maybe though I can be a little more active on there. We will find out. I think it'd be hilarious if you guys all show up in like trench coats and PI hats and, and binoculars to try to just suss these guys out. Probably it'd be a joke for no one because nobody else would be there to see it. But I would I would in my mind in my heart I'd find that funny. We've been doing jokes for no one for seven, eight, nine years now. So watch that change. <laughs> the other thing that's been quiet has been the Hounds roster. It has been 23 days since uh, Kelly Rosales has, or at least his sign was announced. And in the those days since, we have not had any changes in the in the roster. Uh, so are we assuming, kind of going back to our last conversation, is the thought that everyone we're going to see now is either people who are dropping out of MLS camps or... Uh, basically these trialists that they've been working, these, you know, maybe just college graduates who have been trialing with the Hounds or another USL club and looking to catch on somewhere. Is it, is this where we're at now in the preseason, just trying to make these final pieces fit? I'm going back to the last couple years, thanks to, uh, Mr. Shoes's preseason trackers and all of his glorious spreadsheets. I, these, it's pretty typical to not have had signed anybody by this point in the preseason. I think it just takes more than 90 minutes of actual on-game field work for Bob and company to make a decision. I'd say that the people who are there right now, like that's probably the pool. Uh, I don't for really foresee a large number of free agents uh, coming in at the last minute. Usually he gets like, you know, maybe one or two. Like I think Von Kizio, if I remember right, was really late in the preseason. And then it ended up working out really well. But, you know, the, the guys you see out there this weekend at Pitt, the, he's going to probably sign a decent number of them, and then that's going to be it. So hopefully some of these guys are impressing. Um, and, and yeah, and, and they fill the gaps that we have right now. The other name on the Hounds, not roster per se, but the name that – they are using when describing these preseason games is Wyatt Borso, the academy, uh, the academy deal guy from from last season. He was never announced for twenty twenty two. 
are we just assuming he's on the roster? Or are they just is he basically being a trialist that we're just getting his name because we know who he is? Uh, we're assuming he's still planning on going back to Notre Dame for another year, and is he gonna stick around as a as an academy guy? And we just assume he's on the roster, or it's just it was weird to see his name mentioned so many times today and over the weekend for him not being mentioned any time previous to that. He's still on the USL Academy contract. Um, so I, he's still on the team. I think that's kind of indefinite until he either graduates the Academy or goes somewhere else. I think he's solidified on this team at this point. And the reason why you're saying his name so often, he's got two goals already. He does. He has he's he had also, one every game. He's had one in each game. He, ha- he also hasn't started playing college yet. He, ha- he goes to Notre Dame starting this fall. He didn't go last fall. Ah, he was just he was so this high school signed. kid is effectively tearing it up against some other kids at Loudon <laughs> and and other kids at Villanova. I mean, the, the fact that they're talking about him again with how they cage they've been, I think, is a good sign that he is still on the roster. And if, as Yak said, if he didn't go to school last year, he then I guess is still on the academy contract. So at least this fall, I don't know how that plays once he goes to, to school. So um, yeah, that, that doesn't really take up for Austin's spot, really. Or I don't even know if he gets paid, to be honest. No, I mean, so he could, I don't think it, I don't get paid. Think, yeah, so I don't think it hurts the Hounds to keep him. Uh, and if they are going to become a selling team, like we kind of hope for, you would want to hold on to that, that sort of contract or the, that rights to, to him. And then if, if, he, if he does go somewhere else, maybe we can get a, a couple bucks. I mean, if he's let's say he's on this academy contract, and he again, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard for him to find minutes too. It's another another body up top in a in a you know in a in a forward position that is just loaded with with talent this year for the Hounds. But let's say he 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 finds his minutes and he impresses. Do you try to sign him to a proper contract before he heads off to Notre Dame? I think that's going to depend on NCAA rules. I, I don't know how that works. No, just I mean, um, just sign here, forego college. Oh. And, and yeah, get him, get him, get him on on a proper contract. And now you have that as an asset that you might be able to flip later. Or you, you, you have him in all the way through the end of the season into the into the postseason. Yeah, no idea. Um, I know some. There have been some recent cases, and it seems to be increasing of uh, college age kids just going right to USL and not playing college uh, soccer. Um, yeah, you get them but, on a the contract. Uh, you maybe you you include tuition as part of that as part of that contract, so he knows that college we paid for after his playing days are done. But you you get him now, and you have that as a as a someone who's on your roster the whole time through, and then. If he's impressing that well, maybe you know he gets a look somewhere else, and you're you're doing a proper transfer of a guy that that you had as a teenager. Yeah, it's a real interesting uh, thought because uh, as well, the academy. I think this is kind of I know they've had a couple people go to college already over the last few years, but I think this is we're kind of entering the, the period where the first full classes of kids who have been in the academy the entire time. Are of age to go to college or just just go pro, so it's going to be really interesting to see 
how that plays out uh, with with these Hounds Academy kids. John, any thoughts uh, from you on on Wyatt Borso as a potential profe- proper professional before he goes to Notre Dame? It'd be, it'd be a big risk. It's either or. But if he somehow decides he's going to sign a contract, that first of all, that would be incredible for the Hounds to get. It's probably a big sign that he's going to go places. And it also means he's probably not going to stick around on the team too, too long because then he might outgrow us and he might be sold on to MLS or Europe or something. I hope so. That would be incredible if if we somehow – if he if he develops in a way that he thinks you know what I don't think I need college anymore I think I can make this as a real professional player. It'd be I mean that'd be a, a it would be a turn for the for the club to to sign a guy like that on those type of of terms. And I think there'd be a real state of intent if they did that, and it's it's a young man taking. You know, kind of banging on himself and getting into the professional game a little bit earlier, which is, I mean, for America is is early, but not kind of when you think of it globally, it's not that it's not that early. And again, I think from there, if, if he in the first, let's say half of the season, he he impresses in the minutes he gets. I think you have to be serious about that about that that option. Because I going, wonder how going long... to class sucks. <laughs> I wonder how long he has to make this decision because our season starts in March. College season starts in August, but presumably they'll want him on campus to do training starting in July, June. May, may, I, so he's only got three or four months, right? Maybe. Yeah. Or they're happy with him getting his work, you know, in a in a professional setting as opposed to uh, tr- you know, just kind of conditioning up at uh, South Bend. That's possible. He's definitely not getting going to be worse practicing with the Hounds as opposed to Notre Dame. So I can't imagine. Yeah, so, I mean, and you're, you're talking to about you know, might be there might be trouble getting him minutes because we have so many options. He's going to be here in the, the prime Open Cup range, so there's all those opportunities there because you know if we're going to make a real deep run in the Open Cup. He's he's going to lead us the way all the way. Vesti, your your ability to transition just before I was able to do the transition is is spot on. Because the other big Drag news of, of the week, he's, yeah, trying to move us along. The other big news of the week is we have the second round pairings for the the U.S. Open Cup after a two year hiatus, and the Hounds have been drawn at home against the Maryland Bobcats of uh, the, the NASA, and it's going to be the Hounds' first time playing the Bobcats. They're out of Germantown, Maryland, and we don't know much about them. They're only one year into the professional ranks, but they've been in the amateur side for a while. And the one name you're going to recognize off of that roster is former Hound K Banjo from uh, 2017 and 2018. Three goals and 32 appearances for, for, for K Banjo. And this is who the Hounds are lined up against to start their, their deep cup run. That's going to be led by Wyatt Borso, apparently. John, Yak, any thoughts on uh, on the Bobcats as an opponent for the uh, for the Hounds in the Open Cup? Um, from what I've gathered, they do kind of seem to be a pretty. They take Nisa seriously. They're this is only their second year that they're going to be professional, but they were doing really good as an amateur outfit 
So they have guys who run that organization and run the soccer part of that team pretty seriously, as opposed to some other teams that have been loud recently coming from NISA. Um, Kate Banjo, from what I learned, from what I can tell from their social media, is probably one of their better players, one of their major names. He's probably gotten better since he was on the Hound squad a couple years back, but he wasn't exactly getting a ton of minutes here. He wasn't setting the world on fire. If that's one of their best players, we should be fine. Yeah, he was... But you, Magic of the Cup, though, you know? Banjo, was a, he was a, a depth signing for the Hounds. Looked good, had nice pace. Again, uh, three goals and 32 appearances, I believe. And then he became the first professional signing for for the Bobcats when they jumped from the amateur to the pro ranks. Uh, he also, Banjo, played a year or a season out of, out of the United States before coming back between the uh, between the Hounds and the Bobcats. Vesti, is it good to have the, the, the Open Cup back after two years away? Hell yeah, it is. Uh, the Open Cup is, you know, it, it's unique to soccer in the United States, and it is, it's, it's one of the most romantic things, you know, we got going uh, for our sport. It's always a great time. Uh, to go out to the Open Cup when it's only diehards there. It's only like, you know, less than a thousand people for the early rounds anyways. And uh, watching watching the Hounds hopefully beat up on some kids and then move on to the next round to go hopefully beat up on an MLS team or, or whoever is, is we're coming in next. Yeah. It, hopefully they, you know, Bob has, has – been successful against the the second round opponents so far. He's, uh, I guess you have to say two for two because the year two years didn't really count. So he's been or didn't exist. So he's been two for two in getting the Hounds out of the second round into the third round. So hopefully that will continue. And then this year there is a possibility of seeing an MLS side in the third round. That's one of the big changes this year is instead of having all the MLS sides come in in the fourth round. Most will now slot into the third round, and the uh, the better performing teams from the previous year will uh, enter now in the fourth round. So you're looking at potentially one one win, and then hosting an MLS side, which will get um, get people other than the diehards excited for a uh, for a, a midweek match at Highmark Stadium. But with this two years off, uh, and having a lot of new fans come into kind of the lower league ecosystem uh, since since COVID put the Open Cup on a on the shelf for a while. People are starting to examine the Open Cup system, the Open Cup format, and uh, some people are not. They're, they're discovering the idiosyncrasies of, of the American soccer system, and they're looking for some fixes. Uh, Yak, you're one of them. You think the, the the format can be can be improved upon? I think you're going far going as far as to say it's broken. Lay out lay out your case for why the Open Cup is currently a broken thing. I think the Open Cup is broken, and I think the federation either doesn't care about running it and making it something that could be much bigger than it currently is. They either don't care or they can't help but be in their own way. 
Um, number one, you mentioned it, Bestie. We're, when we play Maryland, there's probably going to be a thousand, a few hundred people in the stands. There will not be a thousand uh, people there. It, it will be 600. Because it's basically, it's more or less an unscheduled game, at least when it comes to being on the season schedule, and it's on a Wednesday. Even a regular season schedule gets bad attendance on a Wednesday, where we keep playing these games on Wednesdays, where if we put them on a Saturday, they'd probably get attendance and the number of bodies in the seats and number of eyeballs on these games, much more akin to what we would normally get. You know, a a reasonably full Highmark Stadium, a couple thousand people, and not just here, but at every game. I don't know why it, they haven't made the made it a point to put these games on weekends, the Federation, that maybe other countries put their cup games on weekends just for that reason. They almost need to kind of how FIFA designates certain weekends or international weekends and all the leagues usually then recognize that. Like the Federation should set – I mean, they set the dates kind of pretty early anyways, but usually before – I think usually before leagues put their schedules out. So they almost should like designate, Hey, second weekend in April, open cup weekend. Don't schedule your games. And, and yeah, then then you get your guaranteed Saturdays. But if you do that, you're now pushing, you're pushing league games to the the weekdays. You're not, they're not adding more weekends to the schedule. We're, we're lifting championship trophies in late November as it is. So you're going to, you're going to end up moving, League matches to the weekdays if you put the cup days on the weekends. So it, I think it, you're not avoiding the problem of playing more midweek games. But from like a, a, a team perspective, though, I know they don't draw great in weekdays, but don't do you think they would draw better against Louisville on a Wednesday versus uh, Maryland Bobcats or wherever the heck these guys are? I think, in my opinion, yes, and that trade-off is worth it. You get a couple hundred people for this Open Cup game, or you'll get whatever a midweek attendance is for a regular season Wednesday game, like 1,200, 1,800 people there, more or less, right? That's still better. And it also, I'm perfectly fine with putting a precedent for a Open Cup game on a weekend than one of 34 league games. So if you do it, if you... Go this way, and you let's say the second round. We reserve a weekend for the second round. Are you reserving weekends for the for the other uh, for the third, fourth, and following rounds? Or because if as teams get eliminated, now it becomes an open weekend. I think so. When when teams make it far enough in the uh, let's I'll use the FA Cup for example. There are some. They, they reschedule games if teams make it further than expected or, or something. And I think if there's anything I've learned over the last two years of maybe watching a game on a certain night when it comes to the teams I follow in the middle of the pandemic is the, these leagues are capable of rescheduling games when something like that happens, especially because they're out far enough in advance that they can figure out where to put the game instead. So you're, you're, you're reserving the, the second round weekend – you're still scheduling your league games for the the weekends of the third, the fourth, and the, the other rounds. And then as teams become available because you get knocked out, uh, they can keep those weekends. But if they can't play because they're still in, in the in the cup, now those weekend games have to be rescheduled probably to, well, almost certainly to uh, 
to a midweek. Is that how right. you're cast? I mean, that's that's very. It's, it's kind of how the FA Cup works, or it's exactly how the FA Cup works. Do you think that system will get more people to more games? I think it absolutely would. I wasn't expecting coming in here to to agree or even argue for it, but uh, yeah, now that we're talking about it, I, I I would say so. Okay, so we we've we fixed the scheduling. What are what other aspects do we need to do we need to improve upon here? Okay, uh, so round one is all amateur sides. This is before the Hounds enter the tournament, right? Yes. All the professional teams enter in round two. There will be now. sixteen all amateur uh, matches. With the 16 winners entering the second round with uh, the third division and second division teams. I think that creates two problems. Number one, it's cool to watch amateur sides make it try to progress through the tournament until they get to the chance to play an MLS side, right? That's the ultimate goal. We're already reducing 32 teams down to 16 before any other team even takes the field. On top of that, because because round one encapsulates all of all of the entire country of all the amateur sides, and there's only 32 teams that enter it, there's so much pro- possibility and probability that a team is kind of isolated and isn't particularly close to any of the other amateur teams that qualify. So we have these amateur teams that are being run on tiny budgets, having to travel six hours, eight hours, or a plane ride just to go play another amateur team in the first round. And that's a lot of work. And those are a lot of expenses that are hard to make up when it comes to the USSF refunding these guys' travel budgets. Yeah, but they're getting they're getting thirteen thousand to go travel. They can they can make it work on thirteen thousand, can't they? Two months later whenever they get reimbursed. But I mean Keep you know that go, you know up. that going into it. That's what you're signing up for. Let me give and, you one example. Um, there's a team so there's like an odd number of amateur teams in round one that are west of the Great Plains. Okay, so there's a team in Denver. They kind of got the they kind of got the odd man out. They have to they have to go to Tulsa for their first round game against some amateur team in Tulsa. That is 700 miles away. That's more than what I could consider a a drivable distance. They almost certainly have to fly. Okay. There's a couple other teams that also have to drive about 400 or more miles. That's that's at least seven or eight hours driving. That's an all-day thing. That's multiple days that these guys presumably have to take off work. I realize they're kind of committing to it by entering the Open Cup, but we don't have to make it as as such a high chance to make it as hard as these guys as we are. You know what I'm saying? I, I get that, but it's a big country and there's no guarantee of how these teams will be distributed across the country when they, when they qualify for the tournament. I mean, there's no way you can guarantee, there's no way you can guarantee that, that someone's not taking the long drive or the, or the long flight. No, you're right. There's no way to guarantee it, but we're, I think we're purposely making it harder. So there's in the first round, there's only 16 games. There's only 32 teams in the second round. You add every pro team, you're you're suddenly you're filling out the country more. There's now sixty. What's the number? Is that sixty-two? Yeah, sixty-two total teams in the in round two. You're, you've filled out the country with the, with the pro teams, which are fine to travel because they have they have the fan base, they have the money backing to do that. Um, 
to me, you're, when, you, when you're reducing the amount of amateur teams, and they've reduced the amount of amateur teams over the last couple of years, you're leaving these things to a much larger chance. So you want to throw in all the pro teams in the second round? Let's do. Let me do some math real quick. So, well, uh, look, if you t- why are you doing the math? I just I my the first counter is going to be that the the teams in MLS that are also in the Champions League, their their midweeks are already filled as it is, or potentially filled. So there's a conflict there. I don't. There's I don't think there's a reasonable way to put the Champions League teams into the second round. Well, that's why they're splitting it up this year. They they have the MLS teams so that the 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 shitty MLS teams come in earlier and then the ones that actually have stuff to play for. Yeah, don't. and so instead of them all coming in the fourth round, the teams that definitely are not in Champions League can come in a round earlier. Yeah. But I I don't think I don't think it's it'd be I think asking the top MLS teams to work their league schedule, the Champions League schedule and the Open Cup schedule, that's that's a big ask. Well, I mean, kind of to, I think what Yak was talking about, how when the pro teams come in, and there's so many of them, and it fills it out, as we've seen as the number of pro teams have increased, they've decreased the number of amateur teams, when really it, it almost should be proportional, like, if to have an equal number, so that you have this larger pool. It's not just this amateur-only opening round with a smaller set of, of teams. Um, I, I I don't really see why, like they, they, even though it is the most teams ever this year, every year because there's always more pro teams. I don't necessarily know why you have to then cut how many amateur teams get into this round of the, the tournament. No, oh, I, I I agree. There should be more. There should be more amateur slots made available, or you start calling, you start calling all the qualification rounds before the first round. You 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 know give them some other name or you, you renumber them also those those qualifying rounds are actually rounds one two three four and five or some system like that that actually includes them in the, in the tournament proper i'm in for that yeah and 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 um kind of a side tangent about you know we we love seeing the, the lower league teams playing the teams from leagues above them i don't know if this is new for this year but i feel like it is but there's a new rule or there is a rule that uh, once the pro teams come in, they you don't play another team at the same level as you if you can help it, unless there's like a, a, an imbalance. So people were always clamoring for the Chattanooga Derby between the Red Wolves and Chattanooga uh, FC. I think they're an FC. But that can't happen with the current Open Cup rules because they're both D3, I think. So, like, amateur has to play D3, D3 has to play D2 until there's, like, too many teams in one division, and then they just match them up. I mean... It, um, so that, that, in theory, should then, you know, get those those matches of the lower leagues against the higher league and potential upsets and, and all that sort of jazz. I mean, the Chattanooga thing could have happened just like we're playing another professional team just because, again, not enough amateur spots to, to fill, up, fill up half the half the the pool but that nice nice is considered d3 i'm pretty sure yeah but so no, like but the, the rule is you can't play another team that enters the same round as you oh the same round i thought it was by division no no it's it's be, um so when well you, the rounds by, are it is by division. division and nisa and league one are considered the same division that's why the two chattanooga teams can't play each other that basically just affects nisa and league one 
and I guess the MLS next team, because there's only two of those teams. Well, the other thing is, because the, 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 the one thing everyone always pointed to with, with this change was it, it's going to prevent Portland and Seattle playing, like, straight away when they enter the um, when they enter the tournament. Yeah, correct. Because they play each other every year. It's kind of funny. All right, Yak, what, what else is yeah. on, on your list of grievances with the Open Cup? If I may input what I would say for the scheduling reasons, because you raise a good point with all the MLS CONCACAF teams, that fixture congested beginning of the schedule becomes a big issue. If you put all the open teams, all the amateur teams, and then the divisions two and three, all in run one round, all those teams, and then you add the 25 MLS teams that are American currently for round two, you take the winners from round one and those 25 teams, that is an even 64 teams. And you're still basically, you could make it so that all the MLS teams are entering on the same date that they would have, even if we split it up the first four rounds like we did this year. On top of that, I think because you're delaying the amateurs entering the, um, the field, that they're more susceptible to playing because a lot of their teams, a lot of their players play for college and can't play until closer to the summertime anyway. You really thought this out, didn't you? <laughs> you, you do not want to see the little... The you have, have, have spreadsheets. Do you have spreadsheets? You have spreadsheets. No, he's, he's, he's got the corkboard with the red lines and stuff. Yeah, I'm Charlie Day out here. I'm, I'm staring. <laughs> There's USSF is connected to all sorts of jazz out back here. I mean, again, without having the the cork board in front of me, that I I mean, I'm doing this in my head. That kind of makes sense. I'm sure there's, there there has to be a reason why it's not, but maybe there isn't a reason why not. Well, I asked the um, the cup us on Twitter, which is an excellent follow for anybody. Yes, we um, we retweet that a lot. So if if next time we retweet one of theirs or just find them, that's a, that should be a must follow for anyone who's into the lower league soccer. They, um, the Federation determines what teams or what, uh, when each league enters each round, like well before the open cup is established, like the 2022 one was supposed to be like finished, at least in terms of a structural basis back in like August or something. Um, so it's determined further ahead of time. And especially with the madness that is a lot of lower division professional teams, we don't know how many professional teams are going to be in a league any given season. Right, like teams are expanded or moved down, or New Amsterdam, New Amsterdam, and Chicago House doing their thing. Right, that was not settled until like three weeks ago. So it just happened to work out that way with with the amount of teams that entered this year. The math worked out that you could just kind of do it in these two rounds, and it's super clean. But it's not. There was no guarantee it was that way back in August of 2021. Yeah, and, and the, the league deadlines are end of the year, so that that's a you know four or five month gap of shenanigans that could really affect how many teams are in it. Okay, so we we may have potentially figured out the scheduling <laughs> potentially this year until the number of teams change. Uh. I think the travel is just – that's just a quirk of, of a big country, and it's you could do your best to work around it. But I think 
someone's getting screwed every year no matter what. Right. I just would like to see the amount of teams get screwed to be fewer. I mean, is there I mean, is there a ton now? Like I said, there's there's four amateur teams that have to travel more than 400 miles. I would imagine even in the United States, if you're keeping the travel times under, let's say, six hours, I think that's about as reasonable of expectation, especially for the Midwest, like California, most of the East Coast, it's pretty easy to keep the mileage down. The Midwest becomes a big bit of an issue, but I think that's I feel like that's like a magic number somewhere it's around six hours, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't think there's a there's a, a super easy fix to it though. Outside, yeah, you add more teams. If you add more teams, it reduces the chance that you're on your own island away from everyone else in terms of of, a, of a, an opponent for the for the first round. But I don't know. If to me, when, uh, for the arguments that people make against the Open Cup or problems with the Open Cup, this is the one that I just I don't get on board with. I. There's just no way of guaranteeing it. I, if if we're done, I have one more large grievance. I think yes. that should be aired. Yes, okay. G- give me give me th- give me one more. I guess the one that everyone always goes to. Oh, here we go. The lower the lower division team should host. Should host every time. Should. It should be as close to automatic as possible. Yes. I realize there's a lot of amateur teams that wouldn't have stadium standards or can't secure a field. Okay, fine. That happens. But the preference, we should always be deferring, hopefully, to the lower division team to host. And for our example, that would probably mean that the Riverhounds would be on the road for the first game because I think the Bobcats more or less have their own stadium secure. Um but that's the magic of the cup, right? You're bringing the you're bringing the big team to your town for the first time ever. And a couple of years ago, uh, we went up to Erie for Nova Cup game, and I didn't get a chance to go, but we had a decent crew up there, and it sounded like it was a lot of fun going to you know the small stadium and uh, taking that over a little bit. I was one of the lucky ones. Um, Adam drove me, picked me up right from work. There were probably about thirty five of us. We crashed some eerie brewing company um to pregame for a, an hour or two um the stands were were full they had their all their own small supporter section or probably more people there for a game that they ever would otherwise get up at uh whatever college and they played in Erie. i want to say gannon it was a University. gannon yeah um it, and it was it, that that's what it's for like i think that is exactly what it is for yeah you know it's situations where the amateurs are lower league teams because even at the usl level we don't always own our own stadiums if they can't secure the field or or the standard of the fields are are great you know it's really it's understandable that they can't necessarily host but we see this a lot especially with the usl teams like us who do have our own stadium once we get to the round where the mls teams come in and obviously they control their own stadiums that the, the USSF's position is if you have two teams that want to host, they just give it a coin flip. And so then 
we end up going to Columbus like we did a couple years ago. But I, I, I definitely agree. Like in that situation, when both teams are available and ready and can host, just give it to the lower team. Like who cares? MLS, they, they're fine. They'll be fine. Would you be okay if, if you split the difference and said in the second round, the the lower the lower division team will host if possible. In the third round, the lower division team will host if possible. And then from the fourth round on, it's a, a coin flip. Because I think it, there, there is something about sporting integrity that an MLS team would always be on the road. Until they play, say, until they play another MLS team. At some point, it turns into a fixed bracket, right? I'd say when that happens, then you can do your coin flips. But until then, just give it to the lower league team. I think it's a reasonable compromise. I'd oh. say whatever up let's up until whatever round is the round that the MLS teams enter. So the third round, that's when a majority of them entering. That seems like a that seems like a good compromise. To me, I mean, that's that was kind of my way splitting the baby of it was, and I, I believe it's how it works in Germany. Is those early rounds are are guaranteed to the to the lower seed, assuming they're hosting or they can host, and then after that, it, they just go in the all the names go in the hat, and as as you get drawn, is how it goes. Because yeah, I I mean, I want to host that that DC or that Columbus. There's also something to be said about driving out there there's something you know just like there is about driving up the area there's something about driving out to columbus or philly or wherever you end up and and having a night out there's nothing wrong with that yeah i mean when we went to columbus i guess the last time it was the open cup um the the handful of us that was a lot of fun we had our own little section and gave it our all but you know, when we talk about like 600 people show up to a midweek open cup game against the amateur side for us, it's the same thing for them there. Like that stadium was barely anybody there. Nobody really cared. Whereas if they would have came to us, it would have been you know, a much bigger deal and much more beneficial. So any, any closing thoughts on the open cup format before we, uh, that is something I want to do. I want to get uh, one of those guys from, from the open cup website slash Twitter feeds if they want to may get them on and get their, their thoughts. Because they're always very polite and neutral about when people are complaining about fault, faults in the uh, in the format. May get them on here. And it's a, a wealth of, of Open Cup history in the Pittsburgh region as well that is always kind of fun to go down that rabbit hole. But yeah, any any final thoughts on, on, the, on the format? I'm good. I think we fixed it. Uh, USSF, <laughs> send us send us a check. We're we're we're, we're cheap consultants. We, we can. Uh, we're just gonna, gonna forward this podcast straight on to, uh, yeah, the USSF. You know, I guess what their general catch-all web or email address is. I'll just send it to them, and uh, we will wait for the uh, for the thank you note. USSF nice. at gmail dot com. <laughs> you may pay me in beer. It's an election year, so we'll send to both candidates and then uh, get their know, thoughts. One actually listens. <laughs> hey, at least they're, they're both doing interviews now. Got that gun for us. <sighs> so let's wrap it up with a little bit of Steel Army no, uh, Steel Army news. We were saying that the AGM was tentatively scheduled for 
for February 26th. I'm glad we kept on saying tentatively because that might be changing. So stay on the lookout for that. Uh, the date and location, we'll just say, is still TBD. The other thing we're looking to do this year, and this has been something that's been on the on the the back burner or on the thoughts back of mind for the last couple of years, and obviously with Rona that wasn't happening. A big old party uh, the night before the home opener, probably calling it All Hounds Eve. Brought this up a little bit last week, but we're still trying to flesh that out, and that still is a distinct possibility. So keep keep the night before the home opener clear, and uh, hopefully we might have a party going on there. The signups for Detroit are going on strong. It looks like we're going to have a decent little group going up to Detroit. I know Vesta, you're in. Uh, Yak, you're in. Yeah, Detroit. Giant sad face. <sighs> I, w- I wish I could help it, man. I I was looking forward to going to Detroit for weeks when they were announced as a team, but I can't do it. That's a shame. That you'll is see, a shame. But the rest of us are being in Vegas, and you'll see me in Louisville. So oh, okay. well, I'll make up for it. Yeah, so we will have, in the show notes, we'll have the sign-up for the Detroit uh, away day. We just, we're just looking to see who's going, who needs trying to pair up people for hotel rooms or for carpools. And then we want to get a number, so when we take over a bar near uh, Keyword Stadium, we, uh, we have an idea of how many people are showing up, and we're probably going to pick up some, some pizzas or some appetizers or something like that. So just have a account for that. And then I just booked my flights in my room for, for Vegas. Yak, you just said you're in for Vegas. Uh, Vesti, you're sounding a little less than sure, but, I mean, we're looking at two two decent away days uh, in the first half of the season. Yeah, the away schedule finally seemed to have worked out for us. Uh, you know, even outside of Detroit and Vegas, like Louisville is looking good. Uh, I think, like, Indy is also on a weekend. So uh, a plethora of options. But um, uh, definitely wanted to just say to hammer home that that Detroit sign-up list, uh, like you just mentioned, just so we can get a count. So even if you're not going to carpool with people, not you know doing your own thing for hotels and all that stuff, uh, but still want to make sure we sit with us, we're probably going to get a block of tickets for the game too. So we definitely want to try to get as accurate of a count as we can of who all is going to make it out there, so that we can make sure we all sit together. Uh, it. It seems like it's GA in that stadium, but you know, we'll that's what it looks like. Just, but we'll we'll have to ask someone. Yeah, just want to make sure. Just, you know, we don't want to leave anybody kind of floating by themselves um, if we can help it. Now, Yak, is this your first Vegas trip? Yes, it is. Ooh, that'll be good. Do, do you I'll know be going with one other person. I'll be going with a few, but one other person in my party has been to Vegas a couple of times already. Where are you staying? haven't decided yet sahara seems like the favorite right now okay we'll talk off uh off air Sahara's fine it's a little it's a little dead at times but it's fine we want to be better you're, than you're, fine <laughs> you're going with a professional with yos so he'll, he'll he'll treat you right we'll make it work I, no i like that place it's just sometimes it's it's a little quiet uh, but that's that's why they have uh, they're decent rooms and it's usually why I can get them a little bit on on the cheap is just they're you get a little north of the strip and all of a sudden no one wants to travel up there so but it'll be fine it'll be good uh, well we are literally at the at the hour mark we're at fifty nine minutes and thirty five seconds so it's time to take this bad boy home what did we learn this week what did we learn tonight 
uh, Yak, what what did we learn tonight? What did you learn tonight? I learned that I had a lot of pent-up anger towards the uh, United States Soccer Federation that I think I kind of released it out of myself, and now I feel better. So we're, we're calling therapy session for this one? Yes. Nice. Everyone needs a little therapy. And normally when people have pent-up anger with the uh, USSF, it has nothing to do with the Open Cup. So you're probably distinctly in the minority about why why they get you riled up. I'm sure if you give me enough alcoholic encouragement, I could find more reasons. Uh, Vesti, what did what'd you learn tonight? Uh, that I completely forgot this was a thing. And so I'm just going to say I learned that there is a hole in the bottom of my class. Ooh. Okay, time to wrap this up then quickly. Uh, I learned that we, given one hour of prep time and a little bit of chat over over some hot mics, that we can solve the entire scheduling issues of, of the Open Cup, and we should begin a re, like a reward check from, from the Federation in the next week or so. But with that said, we'd like to thank the Beautiful Game Network for providing the online hosting of Houndsy. Check out the uh, wealth of soccer content being produced weekly at bgn.fm. Uh, the Houndsy theme music was composed and performed by Rocketman and the Space Babies. Check them out at facebook.com slash spacebabiespgh. This show is produced by Joe Majorek. Email the show at steelarmypgh at gmail.com and put podcasts in the subject line. All complaints about the show can be sent to nick.noble at mail.wvu.edu. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again soon.